Let's look in our Bibles this evening to the book of John, to chapter 3. The book of John, chapter 3. And we'll read verse 14 and 15. First, let's have a word of prayer. Now, Father, thank you again for another day. We thank you for this evening. We're thankful we can study your word here once again. We pray that you'd help us to see Jesus, help us to have a greater appreciation for him. Again, we're thankful for all that he has done, is doing, and will yet do on our behalf. Again, we ask your blessings upon us. We ask you to bless each member of this church. We pray for each one. We pray for those that have sickness and difficulties in this life we ask you to be with them again we ask your blessings upon the missionaries of our church brother brown and brother verlander pray that you bless their work entirely again thank you just for all of your blessings again we thank you for your son in his name i pray amen our subject this evening is jesus and the serpent of brass. We read John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. These words of our, our text are a portion of Jesus' words in his encounter or interview with Nicodemus who came to him at night. And in these words, just verse 14 and verse 15, Jesus gives an accurate account of a real event in the history of Israel. He speaks of something that actually Happened. Keep in mind, he is speaking to Nicodemus. He is the master of Israel. He is supposed to be the top teacher of scriptures in Israel. And Jesus is just reminding him of this event that happened many years ago when Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. He has here, Jesus has here a, a great picture and type of himself. When Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. I'm going to back up and read just a moment here in verse, verse 12 and verse 13. He tells Nicodemus, if I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And you'll notice in verse 12, he said, If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? But then in verse 14, he tells him of earthly things, something that actually and really happened 
in the wilderness with the, the people of Israel. There's a couple of very important words, I think, in, in verse 14 to keep in mind. The first is the word as, the second word of the verse. And then the words even so. Again, he's drawing a parallel between Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness and he tells him that the Son of Man must be lifted up in the very same manner in which Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. It's a strange thing to me that some have the idea that this lifting up of Jesus that he mentions here in verse 14, they think it has a reference to the ascension of Jesus. They do not hold to the fact that it is a reference to the crucifixion, but rather to the ascension when Jesus just was lifted up into heaven out of the sight of the apostles that were with him. There are others who hold to the view that the lifting up of Jesus, mentioned in verse 14, is our lifting him up in the preaching and teaching of the gospel. As we preach Christ, we lift him up in the declaration of the gospel, and there are those who say that is what the lifting up here has a reference to. But let's notice a couple of scriptures. Look in John chapter 8, if you would. In John and in chapter 8, now I'll just read here verse 28. John 8, 28, Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. He is speaking to those who, in John chapter 8, who do not know God. He tells them that their father is the devil in verse 44. And he, he's speaking of those who are going to crucify him. When ye have lifted up the Son of Man. Go from there, if you would, to John chapter 12. And here we'll read verse 32. John 12, and in verse 32, Jesus said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. I'll mention, first of all, how he emphasizes here his own person. It's Jesus and Jesus only. When he said, and I, if I, meaning no one else, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Now again, the question is, could, could his words there possibly refer to the ascension? Well, if you read the next verse, you'll know the answer to that question is no. For it says, this he said signifying what death he should die. Knowing that 
Jesus must be lifted up even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. It will always be good since we have the account of Moses lifting up the serpent that we go back and look at that because Jesus said that's the way I must be lifted up. So go back with me to the book of Numbers, if you would, to Numbers and in chapter 21. Numbers and in chapter, chapter 21. I'm going to begin reading here in verse 4. This is speaking of the children of Israel. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea, to compass the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loathes this light bread. Let me just stop here. The complaint of the children of Israel. They were not satisfied with the way that they were being led. And neither were they satisfied with the way they were being fed. They were being led by Moses and he at the direction of God. And they were... I, they were having manna come down from heaven. But they said, I'm going to read it again in verse 15, Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loathes this light bread. That's what they referred to the manna from heaven as. Well, the results of that was in verse 6, And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. How many? We don't know. Evidently a large number. Verse 7, Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. What he prayed, we don't know. Whether he prayed the words they wanted him to pray, take away the serpents from us. Again, what he prayed, we don't know. In verse 8, and the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass, that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass, that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Keeping in mind John chapter 3, verse 14 and verse 15. 
Jesus uses this as a type and an illustration, a picture, a symbol of the manner of his death. In verse 8 and 9, in this lifting up of the serpent, you'll notice, first of all, that this was not one of the actual fiery serpents that was lifted up. But rather it was a piece of brass made or fashioned into the form of a serpent. To me this is one of the strangest types of Jesus in all the word of God. A piece of brass fashioned in the form of a serpent and fastened to a pole. But Jesus uses that as a type. It's also interesting to me, and I think I mentioned this to you in years past, that the medical profession uses this as a, their, their symbol. I did just a little bit of research on that, and I found out that the symbol for the medical profession has no reference to this at all. I thought maybe it did. But it goes back to Greek mythology, to one of their mythological gods named Hermes. It's strange to me that the medical profession chose that, but sometime in the 1800s they did. In the early 1900s, the, the armed forces adopted that symbol for their medical profession. If you ever look at the symbol of the medical profession, you'll see a staff, a pole, a staff, and the staff has wings. And there's two serpents intertwined going around it. And that was a symbol of that Greek mythological god, Hermes. Again, it's just a strange thing to me. One of the things I learned from this, and I think it's one of the main points of the account back here in Numbers, is that there was only one serpent of brass to be made. Keeping in mind the number of the people, the children of Israel, was in the thousands, probably the millions of people, but only one. Only one serpent of brass put up on a pole and raised up. If anyone that had been bitten by one of these fiery serpents was going to live, they had to get where they could look upon that one fiery serpent. should be a reminder to us of Jesus and Jesus only. There's only one. There's only one. It would have been, I would think, convenient for the people to have many of them raised up, have them stationed all around among the great multitude of people, but God said there's just one. There's just one. Again, the type of, of Jesus Christ. And again, all, of all the things that God had get, could have given directions to Moses, about the material to be used for this serpent, God chose brass. He could have said, make it out of iron, make it out of wood, make it out of anything God had chose. But God chose 
grass. And just considering that, in the scripture, brass is a symbol of, first of all, judgment. Brass symbolizes judgment. And it also speaks of strength and durability. Again, a good symbol of Jesus Christ. Keeping in mind, brass is a compound metal make it made out of zinc and copper. You could look there at the two natures of Jesus Christ. I'm sure when Moses had this serpent of brass fashioned and put up on that pole, he had no idea what he was doing was typifying Jesus and his crucifixion, but God knew. Notice something here also, and I guess it's something that's not here. I like to think of what the people of Israel were not told to do. There are many things they were not told to do. They were not told to of themselves to manufacture some kind of medicine or, or something to to. Take care of that venom from the fiery serpent. They were not told to manufacture a cure themselves. The brazen serpent was what God directed and God told them. I think of that and I think of modern religion, how many cures they have come up with for sin. And none of them at God's direction. The people of Israel were not told to kill the fiery serpent. That might have been a logical thing to do, kill them, kill them. But that was not what God said do. That was not God's direction at all. They were not told to bring an offering to the Lord on behalf of their plight because of the fiery serpent, and again, that's man's idea in religion, brings an offering, brings something. The idea today, give your heart to Jesus, bring something, give him something, perform some act or another. Do you find it interesting that they were not told to pray? They were not told to pray about this matter. And again, I find the picture here holding true because salvation is never based upon prayer. Many people have the idea that it is, but salvation is never based upon prayer. I would think that most any Armenian church you go to, you would hear somehow or another prayer associated with salvation, the sinner's prayer. Just ask God to save you. Ask Jesus to come into your heart. That's prayer. That's prayer. When I was growing up in country churches years ago, they had a mourner's bench. And people would come down there 
and they were instructed to pray through. That was the words that was used by preachers back then. Come down to the mourner's bench and pray through. Like you had to pray and finally convince God to save you. You had to talk him into it. There are several things that they were not told to do. But again, on the positive, that serpent of brass is of God's provision, and there's God's promises associated with it. Look here in Numbers chapter 21, and in verse 8, about middle ways of the verse, it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten when he looketh upon it shall live. That's a plain promise. No matter how many times they have been bitten, no matter how advanced the poison in their bodies might be, if the one bitten just simply looks, they live. Just that simple. Just look and live. I'm going to read it again. It shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. A very simple cure. Very simple cure. Hold your place, and this verse just reminds me of the verse in Isaiah. Look in Isaiah chapter 45, and I'll read verse 22. Isaiah 45, and in verse 22, Look unto me, and be ye saved. That, does that remind you of the case of the brazen serpent? Those that had been bitten of the fiery serpent? The only cure was, look upon the brazen serpent and you live. If you do not look upon the brazen serpent, you die. Look unto me and be ye saved. All the ends of the earth. Keep that phrase in mind. Not just a promise to Israel, but to all the ends of the earth. Keeping in mind, we're to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature and tell them the only way they'll ever be saved is to look to Jesus in faith. Trust him. Again, just look and live. Look and live. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for or because I am God and there is none else. In this looking, the brazen serpent back in Numbers 21 Again, it pictures 
Jesus Christ and his crucifixion, but there's also here types of salvation. Look and live. All who look away from themselves and look to Jesus, fully trusting him, shall be saved. And the matter is just as simple today as it was back in the wilderness with the uh, children of Israel. Every sinner, no matter who it is, if they look to Jesus, fully trusting him, they will be saved. I'm going back to John chapter 3. Now I'm going to read verse 14 and verse 15 again and notice the, the reference back to what we read in Numbers. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. You could stop there and do as I do many times. And ask a question, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Why? Well, one reason is to fulfill the type. The next reason is stated in verse 15, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Whosoever believeth in him. Now, I should have asked you to hold your place in the book of Numbers. I'm going back there to chapter 21. And in verse, verse 9, in verse 9, notice about middle ways of the verse, these words, and it came to pass. And it came to pass. Verse 8, you'll find the words about middle ways of the verse, and it shall come to pass. It shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten when he looketh upon it shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it on a pole, and it came to pass, just like the Lord said. Exactly as the Lord said. If a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Now notice something else here in verse 8, keeping in mind John chapter 3 and verse 14 and verse 15. Notice in verse 8, I'm almost to the end of the verse. Everyone. Notice those words, everyone. The Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, set it up on a pole. It shall come to pass that everyone, with no exception, that is bitten when he looketh upon it shall live. In verse 9, You'll find the phrase here, any man, any man. Remember, look unto me, all ye ends of the earth. Jesus said, whosoever, whosoever. In verse 9, Moses made a serpent of brass, put it up on a pole, 
And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, did not matter who it was. Again, it did not matter what their condition was. If any man had been bitten when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Now, I'm going to go back to John chapter 3 and read verse 14 through verse 18. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. In verse 15, you'll find the words, whosoever believeth. In verse 16, you'll find the words, whosoever believeth. In verse 18, you'll find the words, he that believeth on him. Again, any man, anyone, all who had been bitten of the fiery serpent, if they just looked upon that serpent of brass, they lived. If they do not look, they die. What if someone told in the camp of Israel, Moses put a pole up over there. And all of you that have been bitten, if you'll go over there and just look on that serpent of brass, you'll be cured. You think somebody might have said, well, that'd be a foolish thing to do, just go over there and look at a piece of brass. Well, if they'd been bitten, they die. They die. There are many today that have a problem with salvation through faith. They think it's just too easy, too simple. That's why they think there's something they must do other than simply believe on Jesus. Well, the picture and the type holds through all the way through here. In the book of Numbers, the serpent of brass put up on a pole and lifted up by the way, I'll just mention in the book of Numbers, it does not say that the serpent was lifted up. It just told Moses, make a serpent of brass, put it on a pole. It didn't tell him to lift it up. Jesus said it was lifted up. Just a little bit there as you may not have noticed. But that serpent of brass lifted up on the pole is a perfect and excellent type and picture of Jesus Christ and salvation for anyone and everyone who will look to him 
in faith. Now I'm going to mention this to you as I close. And it's a great example how people, religious people, pervert the things of God. How easily they do go astray. Israel kept, preserved, I suppose maybe have guarded that serpent of brass for over 700 years. They began to venerate and worship that serpent of brass. Go with me to the book of 2 Kings in chapter 18. In the book of 2 Kings and in chapter 18, I'm going to read verses 1 through verse 4. You'll find here the end of the serpent of brass. And this is somewhere around 725 years later. 2 Kings 18 and verse 1. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Hezekiah became king. Twenty and five years old was he when he began to reign. And he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abbe, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. Now, there's a list here of about four things that Hezekiah did. He removed the high places and break the images, cut down the groves, and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. Why? For or because unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it. And he called it Nehushtan. 700, maybe 725 years, they held on to that brazen serpent. And they began to, to offer incense unto that serpent of brass. Hezekiah knew better. In verse 2, 25 years old, but he knew better. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. He knew it was not right to burn incense under that brazen serpent. Hezekiah, by both his actions and his words, informed Israel, what you're burning incense to is just a piece of brass. That's what the word there in the last part of verse 4 means. Nehushtan literally means a piece of brass. Nothing godly about it. Even though God had used it those 700 years before as a type of Christ, they were misusing, perverting the use of it. 
Hezekiah said, it's just a piece of brass. Just a piece of brass. I couldn't help but many times when we were in Thailand, Burma, and other places, see people bowing down to those Buddhas and other things over there. It's just a piece of brass. It's already nothing. It's nothing. He destroyed it. He put an end to that. Verse 5 says, He trusted in the Lord God of Israel. And after him was none like him among the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. Hezekiah was God's gift to Israel. Again, John 3 Verse 14 and verse 15. Again, I, th I think that Jesus' conversation ends with Nicodemus with these words in verse 14 and verse 15. I can't be sure about that, but it seems that his conversation with Nicodemus ends in verse 15, and John takes up the writing from there. But in verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so, notice the word must. He could not die any other way. He must be lifted up. The reason is that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 